Welcome to another episode of the Binge Alert podcast, the show where I talk about things I love, things I hate, and everything in between when binging on anime, books, movies, and TV shows. If you're not familiar with the format, the show will be split into five categories, which are Binge's Opinion, Is the Book Better, Movie versus TV, Originals versus Remake, and Roast the Characters. For today's episode, the category is, Is the Book Better?, where I'll be comparing the 2000 mystery thriller novel, Angels and Demons by Dan Brown, with the 2009 movie adaptation of the same name. I had originally watched the movie adaptation first, not knowing that it was in fact a movie adaptation. Then I had unknowingly bought the book. Once I read the book, I went back to the movie and... Let's just say it dampened the experience for me. I'm not gonna lie. I was slightly disappointed. It's not to say that I didn't enjoy the film. It was more so elements that were left out in the movie I wish were included to give more detail. And I understand that it's not always possible to include everything from the book, especially when you're not trying to make your movie like three hours long. But I personally always prefer the book over the movie. It has way more detail, which allows me to use my imagination as to how I would envision the scenes and the characters and all that jazz. So I decided to read and watch Angels and Demons to see exactly what I liked about both medias and whether the movie compares to the book, if they adapted it well. So I'm now going to go read and watch Angels and Demons and I'll catch you in a sec. Six and a half hours later. So man's screaming, oh, he committed a sin. He brought a son. It was you, you idiot. Like I said, I had first been exposed to Angels and Demons through the movie. I thought it was a decent movie, not a masterpiece, but I enjoyed the ride for sure, which was what led me to read the book in the first place. Having just re-watched it after quite a few years, I still enjoyed it, but the pace was a lot slower than I remembered. I feel like they were dragging scenes that didn't need to be dragged. A lot of the time we were just watching Robert scratch his head and miraculously solve every problem they face in the very same scene. But overall, still an entertaining movie, especially when you separate it from the book. Or else you might feel slightly different about it. Having consumed both medias back to back, I didn't realise that I had completely forgot about a lot of the differences between them. Most of them are not really that big a deal to me. Like for example, like there were minor characters who weren't included in the movie. But then there are things that I was like, what did I just read? Dan Brown didn't come to play. Uh, why wasn't this in the script? But before I continue, I just want to give a quick spoiler. I will be talking about some of the plot points. So please don't be upset if you haven't watched or read it and I give too much away. But you have been warned. Okay, so to give a brief summary of the storyline, a scientist who is also a priest is found dead with a confidential project of his involving the creation of antimatter, which is a highly unstable substance, is stolen from his lab. The following day, four cardinals are kidnapped from the Vatican hours before the conclave, the election of the new pope, is set to begin. As it turns out, the two events are related. The perpetrators alleged to be the Illuminati, a group of radical freethinkers who intend on killing a cardinal every hour from 8pm and claim the antimatter will explode and destroy the Vatican. 
Dr. Victoria Vetra, who was part of the confidential project, is called in alongside the Professor of Symbology, Robert Langdon, to find the antimatter and save the cardinals. Okay, so just wanted to mention the first scene of how the mystery was introduced. So in the movie, we have a brief scene where we follow Victoria as she finds her lab partner, Father Silvano, murdered and the highly unstable antimatter stolen. And then we have Robert, who's contacted by the Vatican themselves to help solve the threat they're facing after being sent a video of the four kidnapped cardinals and a fax of the Illuminati ambigram. Whereas in the book, we have a whole mini investigation and revelations to start with. So Father Leonardo, who happens to be Vittoria's adoptive father, his corpse is found in his lab by the director of CERN, laying naked on the floor with the ambigram branded on his chest. His right eye is missing alongside his neck being broken and twisted 180 degrees so that his face was turned to the floor. To which Robert is contacted by the director and sent a fax of Father Leonardo's dead body with the anagram clear on his chest. Now that's some disturbing nonsense. I feel like as the movie was a 15 rating, they could have gotten away with having the dead naked body branded with the neck twisted and still kept to the rating for the wide range of audience. But they went with the simple, simple gunshot to the chest and a missing eye, which they couldn't cut out because that's integral for the plot. But I don't understand why they cut it out. If reasons are because it's disturbing, do you know how disturbing the scenes of finding the three out of the four cardinals dead? Like, Earth looked like he'd been rotting there in the dirt for weeks, not hours. Air was bleeding out all over a little girl's doll. And poor fire was burned alive. Do you know what it is to be chained and burned alive? Man was like hanging there, roasting. And we watched, they'd even cut it away. So yeah, a little twisted neck seemed like nothing in comparison when you think about it. But anyway, I feel like the major changes that were worth mentioning were changes based on the villains. So firstly, we have the wrongfully accused culprit. I definitely think the book pulled this off better. The main suspect in the book was Max Kohler, who was the director of CERN. He was introduced in the beginning as the man who called Robert to ask for his help regarding the death of Father Leonardo. Described as a bitter, feared, but respected man who had a strong distaste for religion, but it's not revealed to us as to why. At first, I didn't like him, nor did I trust him. Like, you find your so-called close friend lying dead on the floor, brutally murdered, and the first thing you do is call a professor in America. Does that even make sense to you? Do you not want to ensure the safety of the rest of the scientists, the people that you're supposed to be looking after? Do you not want the killer to be caught and brought to justice? No. Instead, you want to protect the image of your precious son at all costs. Suspect number one. Max was still on my list throughout the book, but he had slipped my mind when I was trying to figure out if Robert and Victoria would ever catch up with the assassin. But then, the revelation from the assassin regarding the Samaritan who claimed to have information regarding the events put Max right back on my radar. This guy was making suspect movements. 
It started with the assassin informing Robert that his contact had the sixth brand that was unknown to the historians, including Robert, and that he was arriving with the brand to brand the final enemy, which was the Carmelengo, at the Vatican where he had been invited. Now, the only person who had been invited to the Vatican that night was the Samaritan, who turned out to be none other than Max. Then, when he arrives at the Vatican, while he's waiting for an audience, he starts thinking about how he knew he had little time to accomplish what he came for, that he might die tonight, but doesn't care because he's not going to let his work be destroyed by the priest. And my guy was raging. Like, he saw everyone there as the enemy. Like He didn't care who it was. If you were in the premise, you are the enemy. Point blank, period. And on top of that, we then find out why he had such a hatred for religion and how he became crippled. And when I read the story, a part of me felt so bad for him. Like, as far as he was concerned, he believed he was abandoned by religion and science was what took the pain away, which was really heartbreaking. But at the same time, he should have taken his anger out on his parents. And then, we have Robert jumping to conclusions and connecting invisible dots with imaginary lines, talking about how, oh yeah, he has serious influences and how the media surrounding the events would benefit CERN and so on and so forth, and how he never actually counted on the priest to break the tradition of the secrecy and go public. Maybe he found out about the project weeks ago and wasn't happy about the religious implications. So Robert basically solidified the target on Max's back. However, Victoria was still defending Max and it turns out she was the only smart person here because she was right. This in comparison to the commander of the Swiss Guard, Max Richer, in the movie, who wasn't really the main suspect, as literally everyone was a suspect. I feel like movies make everyone look suspicious except the actual culprit. And this movie is a perfect example of that. Like, if anyone was watching this for the first time, they would think that the priest was just being helpful, unless, of course, they're cynical and critical, like me, and literally suspect everyone until proven innocent. And the only reason the priest didn't get caught so early on was because there were so many suspects. Like, so many people were doing suspicious nonsense that they didn't need to do. Like, their actions, that made no sense. You, you didn't need to do those things. You didn't need to make yourself look suspicious. You could have just acted normal and everything is fine. But no, the movie had to make you look all mad and crazy and make me think like you're part of this. You are a suspect. You are a suspect. You are the culprit. And I feel like it did work because the first time I watched it, I didn't suspect the priest at all. I was just thinking he was being calm, cool, friendly. He wanted to find out who it was. He would do anything at all costs. But yeah, now everyone is on my list. And I'll start slowly crossing them off until I feel like I can trust them. Because you can't trust no one out here in these streets. No one is safe from my interrogation. Guilty until proven otherwise. So for me, the commander doing shady things was just another guilty party. But I didn't think he was the main mastermind behind all of it. Like, I was convinced that Kohler was in the book. Kohler was the perfect person to frame, whereas the commander, there was no motivation for him to be the villain. So it wasn't as believable. I mean, yeah, he did really suspicious things, but like, it was more so because he, like I, didn't trust anyone. 
it was his job to protect the Pope and the Cardinals and I think he probably just couldn't register such failure at both. Doing whatever it took to rectify this, even if it meant screwing other people over. And besides, I wouldn't trust anyone in, a, in an investigation such as this. So yeah, he hid his actions, but he didn't owe anyone anything. He didn't ask for Robert to be there. He didn't ask for Victoria other than to confirm that the canister was from CERN. The other commander did. In the book, the commander was framed as an accomplice, so I guess they felt like it made more sense to have him as the main culprit to link to the book. Moving on to the hitman, in the book, he was one of the most disturbing, crazy psychopaths I have ever had the displeasure of reading. But a compelling villain overall. The movie hitman, one of the stupidest villains to ever villain. He basically handed all the clues to the Vatican through the video. I mean, yeah, he didn't know that there was going to be a world-renowned professor of symbology, but regardless, you're going to take the chance of leading people to you. I'm confused. Is he not a professional? There was no need for him to mention the paths or the churches and all of that jazz. Like, he could have just said, I will kill your cardinals and blow up your church. Sucks to be you. But no, he needs to be all poetic and dramatic. Like, dude, you are a hitman. Just kill your targets and be on your way. There was no need to expose yourself. And I know I sound a bit mad that saying he should just kill and move on. But is that not his job? The assassin in the movie also gave a clue, I admit. However, he said one thing and it was explained as to why he would have said it. Robert basically figured out that very few historians knew about the markers leading to the churches and even fewer believed the existence of them in their locations, which had been remained a secret for 400 years. So the assassin assumed it would remain a secret for another five, six hours. Not his best work, but it makes sense. Though I am glad they kind of just made the assassin more like a hitman for hire because the things the book would describe that he had done in the past and what he planned to do with Victoria, that was truly a disturbed man. I can't believe the priest recruited this guy with his whole chest, thinking this was okay. He himself had called him a heathen soul. And side note, where do you find a man like that? Both book and movie, how did the priest get a hold of someone like that? It's not like you can go in the yellow pages and look up assassins. I mean, I guess it kind of made sense because he was also disturbed, but we'll get to that later. And with all the craziness this assassin put Robert and Victoria through, I was just happy to find that he didn't make it. But I did wonder what the priest had planned for the assassin in the book if the assassin wasn't killed by Robert and Victoria. But I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have let him go free because then he would have ruined his master plan. At least the movie addresses that by having the hitman think he's gonna get the prize or money or whatever waiting for him in the car only to have the car explode with him inside. Seriously, where is the priest finding these things? Like C4? I'm pretty sure it's not lying around in the Vatican. Then again, they did show a lot of weapons in the commander's office. So maybe they did have some C4 lying around. But does no one do a count check? And then we have the man who started it all, the Carmelengo, aka the priest. He was probably the most drastic difference between the book and the movie. 
Okay, in the movie, we eventually learned that he was just very ambitious, very misguided, and a slight sense of hatred for science. But in the book, he was straight up loony. So in the book, the priest starts off as a helpful character, and as the night progresses, he chooses to let the world media know about the plot to destroy the Vatican to create sympathy for the church, admit defeat to the public after the Max incident, then publicly fakes a last minute revelation claiming that the location of the bomb was revealed to him. And this is where he started making suspicious movements, more so because of Robert. So as part of his plan, he alone was supposed to find the antimatter and get on the helicopter to dispose the bomb, saving everyone last minute. For some reason, unknown to man, Robert decides to jump right in the helicopter with him. For what? What is this nonsense? You think I'm getting into that helicopter? You think, after nearly dying multiple times, at the hands of a psycho assassin, I'm about to now climb aboard a helicopter with basically what is described as a nuclear bomb. And the plan he came up with, yeah, thinking that the priest would have time to fly the helicopter to a body of water big enough and deep enough to reduce the impact of a nuclear bomb from Vatican City. How you have survived this long making these stupid mistakes? God has truly blessed you child because that was the only way he made it out in one piece. With no parachute. And the priest just left him on the helicopter with the bomb. It was so dread like, like Robert couldn't have held on to him. I would have. But then again, I would have stayed on the ground. This differs from the movie where I don't feel like I really get any suspicious behavior from him until we see the footage of the conversation between the commander and the priest like they really played his part as the humble servant and savior until the very last minute which did actually come as a shock to me when i first saw the movie like, i didn't see it coming i thought they were going to say that the great elector cardinal was the mastermind behind all of it to obtain the position of the papacy i mean it fit like everything seemed to be working in his favor with like the favorites gone and the other cardinals asking him to step down from his position so he would be eligible to be the pope like i wouldn't have been surprised but i was indeed surprised what they did keep the same in both versions is the priest's success was short-lived as we discovered that the threat was a charade he fabricated Difference is, in the book, Man actually tried to justify his actions towards the Cardinal and the Pope. Like, he stood proud and was all confused at the looks of disgust on the other Cardinal's faces as he was explaining himself. Like, they were supposed to thank him for killing four Cardinals and a priest. And the Pope. What? And the way he justified those deaths was like, I wasn't the one who killed him. The assassin did it. Oh, yeah? And who provided the assassin? And who allowed the cardinals to be captured? It wasn't a ghost. I'll tell you that much. I can say though, this guy was dedicated to the cause. Like he truly believed his purpose was to basically destroy man's faith in science. And he was willing to die for it. And the main reason he killed the Pope, like wow. 
Like, he was already pissed at the Pope for entertaining Father Leonardo's project on the antimatter, thinking his faith was hella questionable. But then to find out that Pope fathered a whole baby, a whole human being, a whole baby. It was too much for this guy to handle. Like, he didn't even want to hear the rest of the story. As far as he was concerned, the Pope was no better than the assassin. But your answer was to kill him. Did you not at least have any questions? Demand to know where the mother and child was? If they were still even alive? Like, it's funny how characters can literally save themselves and us the trouble by just using words. Do people not know how to speak? Must you result in violence and assumptions and misguided conclusions but what made this shock shock horror was the fact that we found out that the pope didn't physically conceive the child science did that and that said child was in fact the priest man was thinking he was adopted by a kind man who who became the pope when in fact he was chilling with his father the whole time and that revelation broke him Like, this reason alone solidified that he truly believed what he was doing was right, that it justified his actions, as the Pope was not the true beacon of hope and righteousness. And I was like, man! I guess having a conversation really would have solved this, don't you think? But let's be clear, him getting upset about the situation doesn't make everything else he did okay. Man still had five innocent men killed and felt justified for it. But this was a hard pill to swallow. Because now, the very thing he made the enemy was the thing that made him him. So it's like, what does he do? Man's confused. This is why he absolutely lost it. Because it's like, what do you do now? Whereas in the movie, it was clear that my guy did all of this just to increase his popularity and become eligible for the papacy. And he knew what he was doing was wrong because that's why he immediately fled for his life. He killed all those people for selfish reasons because the way he was trying to express his hatred for science to the commander, I wasn't convinced. I felt like it was just an afterthought. It didn't really like seem like he even cared about the science versus religion debate more that he used it to his advantage as an excuse to come up with this nonsensical plan and just killed the pope because he was in the way it was his time to shine so final verdict i've give this one to the 2000 book adaptation while the movie has changes that i liked such as robert not getting into the helicopter and it definitely had a much simpler storyline to follow which works better for the big screen the book just has so much more detail that couldn't be portrayed in the movie and I feel more invested in the book as I can imagine what it would be like if I was in that situation. It just makes the experience more intense. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Let me know what you think of Angels and Demons, the 2000 novel and or the 2009 movie adaptation. Which one is your favourite? Also, if you have any requests or suggestions on anything you'd like me to watch or read, please be sure to hit me up. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at BingeAlertPod. I'm out and I'll catch you in a sec.